Free Trail fam, bonjour from Chamonix, France. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. It is officially UTMB week, and we are here to enjoy the spectacle and share our love for this amazing sport and this amazing event with you, the global trail running community, trail fans worldwide. This is a special time of year, and we are so happy to be here to enjoy it in person. We're going to be doing a daily show each morning recording in the heart of Chamonix covering all the major stories of this year's race. It is a special week-long series we're calling Good Morning Mont Blanc, which you're listening to now. Each day we'll have a star-studded group of rotating co-hosts to share their expert perspectives about the fields, the conditions, the races, and the results as they happen throughout the week. We're also going to be doing a ton of pre- and post-race interviews with some of the main contenders and the top performers. So make sure you're subscribed here or to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a single second of our coverage. We are grateful for your support. We really hope you'll follow along and share it with your friends. Finally, thank you to Hoka and Camelback for making the shows possible this week. Make sure you play fantasy, fantasy fantasy.freetrail.com for a chance to win prize packages from these awesome brands. Thank you all so much for listening. Have an amazing UTMB week. Good morning, Mont Blanc. It is Tuesday, August 29th. It's officially UTMB week. We have two racers in our presence here this morning, and we've got a fantastic panel here to discuss the rich 20-year history of the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. Doug Meyer here at the end of the table here. Keith Byrne in the center. Topher Gaylord, a star-studded group of historians of the UTMB, and we're going to go into deep detail on all the amazing stories that have emerged over the last 20 years. But maybe quickly, I just gave you guys a very quick intro. Doug, maybe just say a few words about yourself. Tell us about your book and sure. what makes you important to the UTMB I've been story. living in Chamonix now full-time for six years. I'm originally from the White Mountains back in New Hampshire. Uh, I run the trail running company Run the Alps. There's the shameless plug. And I wrote the book, The Race That Changed Running, The Inside Story of, of UTMB. So I got a chance over the last, uh, well, over the last year to really dig very, very deep. And big thanks to these two guys for all kinds of stories that are in there. Yeah. So this was just a wonderful journey. Yeah, all three of us are featured in your book. Oh, Me, less Dylan, so than of course. Two, but. Yeah, actually some, <laughs> some key information from you, very helpful. Yeah. It's a great book. It's Thanks. fantastic. And it's it's structured in, in a way that, um, yeah, you can sort of set it down and pick it back up and revisit it at any interval, usually probably once a year for a lot of us going forward. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I hope so. That would anyway, be nice. <laughs> and uh, just for our viewing and listening audience, Doug is going to need to leave before we are done. So we'll make sure we get plenty of contributions from you in the next uh, 30 minutes or so. Thanks. Keith Byrne, maybe give us a quick thumbnail sketch of your history here. Oh, yeah. So, um, well, Doug, the book is brilliant. And there's been quite a few. There's actually have been a few UTMB books over the years. But this one is actually in terms of storytelling and how easy it is to kind of consume, as, as Debo said, come in and out. It, it's a really good read. So uh, there Thank we go. I, I don't need any royalties. I just think, <laughs> I, and also uh, as we prepare to do the uh, the live commentary for the rest of this week, the book has been great to kind of remind me of some of the stories that I've perhaps forgotten in the past. So uh, thumbs up to that. So I've been, I've been at the UTMB every year since 2004. 
I've appeared at the UTMB in all kinds of ways, either trying to run, and I've finished a couple of times. I also worked for the North Face forever, and so we were the kind of founding sponsor. So I've had the pleasure of working with Katrine and Michelle. And then more recently, once we stepped away, um, I got the opportunity to work in the uh, UTMB live studio. And so every year, uh, with all kinds of wonderful folks, we get to share UTMB with everyone around the world. And um, it never, ever gets boring. And so I'm I'm, more, I'm excited about this podcast, but even more excited about being with Corinne and a few other folk uh, at the end of this week. So, yeah, go. So yeah. high energy here this morning in the podcast studio. Yeah, yeah. We'll preview the broadcast uh, <laughs> a little later on, but I'm sure a lot, your voice is really familiar to a lot of our listeners, and it's great to have you here. Well, that's oh. always the classic thing. When I'm sat with Debo and Corinne in the studio, everyone's like, who's the British guy? So <laughs> like, we know who Debo and Corinne is, and I'm, I'm okay. And one of the great things is about this is that a bit like trail running, you know, on the start line, the mid-packers can be with their heroes. And that's kind of how <laughs> I equate my presence in the UTMB live studio. I love it. Nice. Thank you, Keith. Tell for last but not least. So I guess Chamonix become a second home uh, to, to myself and Kim since 2003, since the very beginning of UTMB. So we, I've been coming here since uh, literally 2003 every year. And uh, it's, you know, the UTMB, Katrina, Michelle, and their family, their three generations, four generations of family are our French family. And we've got, just to, to show how transformative this event has been for our own, the Gaylord family, we have 18 Gaylords here this week for the 20th anniversary. I'm the youngest of 10, and we've got eight siblings here uh, to soak in the different races. And we've got the next generation racing this year. So... This is about tradition, it's about shared experiences, and it's about bonds for life. And it's, uh, it's great to be here celebrating 20 years. Yeah, and we should mention that both Doug and Topher did race the MCC yesterday. So it's a uh, sort of overcast morning here in the Chamonix Valley, and I'm sure you guys are happy to sit around and chat and drink coffee a little bit rather than be out in the mountains. With it's like a lot nicer right now than it was yesterday <laughs> at this time when we were in Martigny wondering yeah. uh, how much snow there was going to be up at Colbaum. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's so cool. The MCC is, you, you know, it's a race for the organizers. So, you know, obviously all the 10 communities put in an enormous amount of volunteer effort. And the idea of this race was to give back to the community by creating a race for the community. So, the only way into the race, you got to have a zip code within one of the surrounding communities, or you need to somehow be part of the UTMB family, yeah. which was which I don't have a zip code in, in the area. But like I said, the end of August, I, I do live you in are. a zip code. So um, the race is, uh, it's a beautiful race from Martinique to Chamonix. And it's just about a marathon, mountain marathon. And it, they put it on with all of the energy of one of the primetime races. And mm -hmm. it feels like it, it was very cool, but, and it was super tricky conditions yesterday, which made it really fun. Awesome. It awesome. also, for those of us who, you know, live here in the Valley, it has this really nice local vibe too. You're seeing, you're seeing friends, you're seeing UTMB volunteers. There's just a really good sort of, it has, like you say, all the spirit and energy of any other UTMB race. And, and if you live here, you know, Jean de Pays, as they say, or um, if you volunteer, you see all these faces that you know. So it's got a whole nother level to it. It's really a wonderful event. Fun, fun. Cool. Well, I want to go back to the very beginning, but before we do so, I have to thank our sponsors. I have to get the administrative stuff done. And a big thank you to both Hoka and Camelback 
for their generous support of Good Morning Mont Blanc and all of our content efforts here this week. Of course, they are great supporters of the UTMB and the UTMB World Series, and they're also great supporters of us here at Free Trail. Hoka, of course, born here in the Alps, so trail running is in the DNA, and um, you know we're really proud to be working with them. We're only a few steps away from their base camp here in the expo, uh, which I think sort of opens today. I can't wait to go look at all the great products at the expo later today. Of course, Camelback too. If you're interested in coming to Camelback's event here in Chamonix on Thursday night, we have information about that in the free trail Instagram stories. So make sure you go check that out. Of course, Camelback, the inventors of the hydration pack category and still great innovators in that space after so many decades um, and so, yeah, big thank you to them for their support of the shows here this week. So again, going back to the very beginning of the UTMB, Toph, maybe let's go back to you. Maybe just give us a sense of, of course, you were working for the North Face at the time, managing the European business, sort of opening the European business here and identified this race as being a great opportunity to showcase the brand, showcase the brand's products. What gave you that insight? How do you come to be connected with Katrina Michelle? Well, I mean, it's it's a crazy story. In 2003, I had moved over to Europe to run the North Face uh, brand in 2000. And I was in search of a 100-mile trail race. And, and really, trail racing was all shorter distance. It was an era of sky races at the time. And there weren't really uh, very many ultra races and virtually no 100-mile races really on the continent, trail races. Uh, and there's, so there are 24-hour races, 100Ks on the road. And I was always flying over to run Western states, jet-lagged, like squeezing in, passing out somewhere in the canyons, and then muscling my way to the finish, and, and was constantly in search of a 100-miler. And came across on a website, actually, the UTMB, and I just knew instantly, like, run around the rooftop of Europe through three countries and connect a full circle. The aesthetic alone of it was just absolutely pulled me to the event. So I signed up immediately. And then I, I sent a note to our French team. I didn't want to be the heavy handed American, like telling the team what to partner with because it was a personal passion. And I, uh, I sent a, a note to the team running our, our French business and they immediately were like, we have to become involved in this event. And, um, and I, I really give enormous kudos to, to Carla and, and Franco, uh, Franco now the CEO of, of, of Solomon and, and Carla. Uh, I think Doug writes about Carla a little bit in the book as well. And, um, they were amazing. They were instrumental in getting us connected that first year. And, and Kim, my wife, and I did a three-day training tour. Like that was that was foundational to how I prepared. We'd yeah. always do a three-day tour du Mont Blanc every year, and we started before the very first year as part of the training. Did block. you have a sense of what this was going to become? Because you've been here every edition for twenty <laughs> years, and I mean, it's an absolute spectacle now. Yeah, I mean, I, it was it was an adventure. That first year, they technically had a finish. If you made it to Cormier, you were considered a finisher. If you made it to Champagne, you were considered a finisher. So at that point, it was this adventure into the total unknown. Like yeah. no race had ever been run around the Mont Blanc. Some people had sort of, you know, uh, FKT'd the concept, but 
Um, it hadn't been done. So I, I didn't have a, an idea of what it would become, but I just knew like, if you just look at it on paper, it, it's just the most beautiful aesthetic line or, or trail you could ever imagine doing. And that in itself just drew me to it. And I knew it would draw anyone that, that came to it. And you've started 11 times, Doug, maybe yeah. this is a, a good, good thing for you here too. And in, in your book, you talk about sort of that original founding moment and part of it was sort of born from tragedy. Why don't you tell the people about that? Yeah. Well, there in 2000, we had the Mont Blanc tunnel fire, which, you know, uh, disconnected Cormier from, from Chamonix and, you know, everything was closed. There had been these relay races around, you know, Mont Blanc. And I don't know, did, were you, were you aware of those or had you done? I didn't, them? yeah, I didn't, I didn't yeah. know the relay races. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, nobody had ever done a continuous run all the way around and the relay races were really focused more on, you know, road and the, you know, trail, trail running at that period was coming into ascendance. And there was this cry of uh, more trail, less road. And it was really a small group here in Chamonix, once the tunnel reopened, they said, you know, let's restart this race, um, but let's do it differently. Let's do it as a continuous race. You know, we can see who goes all the way around. And, um, and let's try to get onto the trails for it. And it was really one person, uh, Rennie Bachelard, who is not very well known, who at that time was the president of the, of the Chamonix uh, CMBM, which was the local trail running club, which continues to this day and has something like 300 members, one of, probably one of the biggest trail running clubs in the world. Yeah. Um, and Rennie kept bumping into Michelle um, in the streets of, of Chamonix and saying, We've got to have a meeting. We've got to have a meeting. We've got to have a meeting. And finally, Michelle broke down. He was active in, in CMBM. And, um, and they called a meeting. And they had in that group, like, a superstar cast of people who could pull something like this off. Um, so it was really quite a remarkable moment. And th now, this was 2002. And they, you know, organized. And so the tunnel had been reopened. And so there could be something like this, you know, it would have essentially been impossible to, you know, organize a race like this without, without the Mont Blanc tunnel. And, uh, you know, the tunnel reopened, this high energy organizing group, and um, it just kind of took off. You know, Catherine built this very simple website um, and they, you know, she, they had a, a record store at the time on right. Avenue Aguida Midi. Um, you know, she had some free time available and she started, um, you know, she was like the volunteer organizer of it all. Michelle was out on the trails. Now, this is a period that, you know, you got to understand, um, for example, one of the really classic parts of the course that we know now from Bertoni to uh, Bonatti mm -hmm. did not even exist. Really? The trail wasn't there? The trail wasn't there. Oh. They actually went down in the valley on that section. That's like one of the best stretches exactly. of the whole course. I know, right? <laughs> it's like hard to imagine that, that that was not even there. So yeah. Michelle went out and he spent a tremendous amount of time just exploring. Um, he gave the name to the spot Tete Avant, which unfortunately we can't use this yeah. year for other reasons, um, Mont Favre. And, um, 
you know, and he pieced it all together, you know, with, with friends, obviously, yeah. you know, Mich- uh, you know, Catherine built the website and, you know, they thought they might have, you know, 100 or 200 people who were crazy enough to try this. You know, the start line had 700 plus. Yeah. So clearly they knew they were onto something. Including Mr. Topher Gaylord. <laughs> including second including a certain yeah, Mr. Yeah. Topher Gaylord. So, so Keith, maybe going a little bit deeper on Katrina Michelle, I know you've developed a special relationship with them over the years. Doug just mentioned that they owned a record shop in town and now they are the race directors of the world's biggest trail event and obviously integral. They've passed off the CEO role to somebody else now, but building this UTMB World Series also. What makes them a powerful team and any other insights about your relationship with them? Well, it's, I think, um, Catherine and Michelle is, I think in the, and Doug, I think has done a great job in trying to help people understand Catherine and Michelle in the book, because there's a lot of people they've made their kind of assumptions and conclusions about the two of them based on maybe what's been written in the press more than actually personal experience. And I think, uh, Catherine and Michelle, it's the dynamic duo, if you like, um, a fantastic couple together. And like most winning couples, they complement each other completely different. You know, Catherine is the the flamboyant, um, definitely doesn't hold back with any of her thoughts. They are not, there's no airbrushing of that. It's, you know, straight talking. Whilst Michelle is kind of like the peacemaker, the, the creative one. But actually, when it's necessary, he will stand up and say, Catherine, I think you're wrong. <laughs> and there's not many people, in, yeah, there's yeah. not many people in this world that have said that and survived to tell <laughs> survived. the story. And so, um, you know, I think it's from my personal experience and, um, you know, I've seen Katrina and Michelle build an incredibly strong relationship with Topher and Kim, uh, on a personal level. And actually it was quite funny. So I would, I feel like the relationship I had with them was much more about, I was almost like a diplomat between the North face at the time and the UTMB or specifically Katrine, because Katrine had a very clear vision about what she wanted to achieve. And the North Face also had an idea about how we could help. And they didn't always quite make sense. And so I was constantly trying to explain to one side or the other what they were trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think Katrine kind of respected that. And um, so we, but even to this day, if my phone rings right now, I know, and it's got Catherine Paletti, Paletti written on it. I know there's something that she's quite not happy about. And I'm like, okay, what have the gang done this time? And yeah, so um, yeah. in a way, even though I'm in Colorado now, Catherine knows that she can pick up the phone anytime yeah. and I will help her resolve whatever the thing is. So I think um, for me anyway, it's been fun seeing her. And um, also I think more and more people have got a better understanding of who she is. And uh, my funny story is like in Boulder, where I live now is um, you're not allowed to smoke on the street. So uh, Catherine and Michelle were here last year. They came for dinner. And then after the dinner, like here in Chamonix, Catherine's outside smoking like a chimney. And somebody said, you're not from here. And Catherine's like, oh, why do you know that? He said, because you're not allowed to smoke here. <laughs> so in good Catherine style, she's kind of like sucking on that cigarette as quickly as she could before she got into trouble. So, um, so yeah, so... It, I think 20 years of UTMB is the ultimate testament to those two people, mm-hmm. um, the way they've worked together. And they, you know, the perception of them is that they are millionaires living in this amazing house somewhere. Yeah. And, um, and as the, the, the story unfolds, you realize that they 
continued any of the money that was being generated by the race was continuously continuously reinvested back into it, much to the horror perhaps of some financial advisors. So it's it's a passion. Talking about a passion project. This is like a, a mega passion yeah. project for those two. I plan to get to this later, but Doug, I know you're yeah. on a on a tight time yeah. schedule. So maybe let's get to this now about yeah. like the reinvestment into the race. Super maybe. interesting. Because yeah. there is this idea out here, which I think makes a certain amount of sense, right? This is a big display and you know, pageantry and takes over the entire town. And you think whoever must be at the top of this, like they must be totally raking it in. Yeah. And it is a big business. There's no doubt about it. We have to say that. And we have to say with Iron Man now, especially it's, you know, it's a multinational corporation, right? I mean, um, but, you know, money, you know, very clearly, I did about 20 hours of interviews with the Pledis and we did about 50 other interviews with some help. And, you know, they're motivated by, you know, quite a lot of things. They're clearly ambitious, clearly really smart. You know, Michelle, both of them also saw how some trail races over the years, um, you know, Templier and others, uh, you know, Diagonal de Fou, very important races still to this day, mm-hmm. but they had their moment at, at the pinnacle. And then, uh, you know, I, I think we can honestly say they're, they're not there now. Yeah. And they always wanted to avoid that happening to this really special run around Mont Blanc. And so... Um, you know, they moved back here. If we have time to tell this quick, quick anecdote. You know, they moved back to Chamonix um, from, from university. And the choice at the time was to go to Paris, where, where Michelle was going to take a programming job, or come back to Chamonix to the mountains. And as a friend of Catherine said at the time, the choice is antidepressants or going back to the mountains. Yeah. Um, and so they moved back here, and they did not have a lot of money. And they, you know, Michelle's father was just retiring from, from running, um, you know, business. They took over the, the garage. They turned the garage into a chalet. Um, and this is where they live today. You know, you walk into the chalet and there's this very modern looking sunken, you know, living room area. That's where they changed the oil on the trucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, they have one car, a little electric, you know, Renault Zoe, um, and you know, money for them has, has not been the driving factor yeah. as, as you Isn't might there imagine. there an anecdote in the book about how in 2020 they ended up in a tight economic position because they had been reinvesting into the race and not yeah. necessarily pulling the, the long-term strategy. I mean, this is very much, um, a homegrown business yeah. and the long-term strategy was on the years when they made money, they poured it back into the business and there were years when they didn't make money. Um, and now that works great if you're a mom and pop it's business. It's so counterintuitive, we should say, to the folks who are going to be listening and watching, who have especially been here at UTMB, oh, yeah. to know that it may have not been profitable certain years. Oh, oh yeah, right. right. And, and also the, the profits were you know, relatively small in those days. Yeah. And um, so along comes, uh, at one point, Remy Duchemin, who is a real had worked for the company that owned Tour de France and long, it's, a, it's in the book, but you know, they were interested in trail running. He meets the Palettis and he looks at the finances and says, you know, this is a little crazy. Like you don't have any reserves here. You know, a company your size needs, you know, reserves. And so 
um, the financial sophistication came came a little bit later in the process. Cool. Yeah. Super interesting. Maybe before... Debo, I was just going to jump in. It just one other thing I was just thinking of now is that whenever any company that we kind of connect with or brands that we wear, we normally connect it to the purpose and values of those. And throughout the years, whenever we had some strong discussions with Michelle and Katrine, the one thing that they always defaulted to was the values mm. of of trail running and the values that they were trying to create. So what I think um, that, that was just one thing I just wanted to say, even to this day, Katrine and Michelle, everything they've been driven by, that kind of their North Star was what they believed was the spirit of trail running. And maybe, and I think Killian articulated it quite well in terms of saying, you know, the UTMB is a great race. Would that be the race that I would put on? Not necessarily because it's not necessarily my valleys, but I think through the 20 years, if you like, their North Star was always these clear yeah. kind of values mm. and guide of trail running and the spirit of trail running and catching. And it was hard to argue with that whenever you were having a, a tough conversation with you going, well, that's against the spirit of trail running as Catherine was saying. I think that's been another kind of, if you like, all the way through, they've been very clear from day one. Yeah. These are the values of trail running that we're committed to. And that's where they've gone. The, the very first brochure for UTMB, even before it was called UTMB, uh, had a statement of the values of the trail. And, you know, we can disagree about what those values are. And a lot of people do. And a lot say. of people do. Yeah. And that which in their is entire, in the book. entire in podcast the book. Yeah. devoted to yeah. this. Yeah. Um, uh, but they were there. And, and, you know, you talk to Michelle in particular, who's run 80 plus ultras about trail running and you know he tears up i mean this is like you cannot say that he that they are not passionate about trail running and so you know disagreements come we've seen some of them this year um you know but uh there is definitely as keith said like an absolute you know north star there um that has guided them and we may all disagree um, a good example is in the first edition and in early editions, there was an idea that everybody would finish would get exactly the same prize. Um, now that's a wonderful thought, and the world, but the world changes, right? Yeah. And so you end up in the situation where there's no prize money <laughs> going out to people who are training all year and working incredibly hard. And you know Tim Tolson makes the the case very clearly and articulately in the book that you know in all due respect you got to shift your thinking here. Yeah. So so there's an understanding of, of where where some of these issues come from that are grounded in in you know DNA yeah. of the race. So Toph, I want to get your comments on Katrina Michelle specifically too because I know you have a special relationship with them. But Doug, I know you got to leave here in a few minutes. We were just talking about the economic impact of the event on this community, a community that's important to you. So um, maybe say a few words about that before we let you go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hugely important. You know, living here year round, you see the ebb and flow of the economy and it's a tourist economy. Um, you know, we all, you all, of course, and me for many years saw this thriving, hopping, packed Chamonix. Now, you know, come the Monday after UTMB, um, we always joke, uh, you know, locals, it's the sound of, you know, wheels, you know, luggage wheels leaving town. <laughs> and the scaffolding goes up. There's this window of renovation. Um, 
you know, when people do all of their work on their shops until you know, ski season, but it's, it's really, really quiet. And before UTMB, uh, it's h- hard for us to wrap our brain around this, but the summer season really wound down around mid-August. And it was apparently very, very quiet then. Mm. Um, and what UTMB has done has um, been a, an incredible boost to the economy for in a period when things were, were really pretty dead. And, you know, I'm part of a world now with, you know, Run the Alps and with others that you now see, okay, so end of August is one of the biggest periods for not just Chamonix too, the whole region, the mm. Espace Mont Blanc as they call it. And um, so it's a huge shot in the arm for the economy. And, and now what we see is, you know, trail runners coming you know, wanting to experience for the whole summer the courses the whole summer. Yeah. yeah. So but you said uh, 23 million this week, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And you talk to shopkeepers and you know, they're delighted to have this week. Of course. Um, obviously the Valley overflows with people and there are all kinds of issues around that. Yeah. And I think everybody acknowledges that. So there's a real tension there. It's a balance. Yeah. And I should say Harmony and I came up to Chamonix and October last year and it was dead quiet and it was such a change of pace. And we also this year put a lot of effort, Harmony put a lot of effort into trying to organize like a free trail event at like a bar or a restaurant or something. And we couldn't find any availability. They're all close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody's absolutely. everybody's already been bought out by other brands and yeah. stuff. So there is a tension there and we should be yeah. honest about that. But it's also really cool and it's good for the local economy that depends on tourism. So even though they probably are really happy to see everybody go after uh, UTMB week. You know, there's a really interesting point to make here too, which is the tourism office work with the cell phone company Orange to try and study exactly what was going on. Because these days, the way you track people and track numbers is by seeing how many cell phones are in an area. So what happens uh, here that's maybe different from other big events um, is that it brings the usual huge swarm of people to the valley. But for UTMB, they're actually really concentrated. So they're concentrated right by the, you know, the start line, the finish line for all the races, uh, by the mayor's office um, and downtown. So it, it feels, it is very congested there. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're all, the mayor's office, tourism office, UTMB are exploring ideas about how they can manage that congestion with different ways of moving people around. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Doug, thanks so much for coming in. I know you got to get going soon. Sure. So maybe just one more quick plug for okay. you. Both. The, <laughs> the, the race that changed running, it's a deep his, history of UTMB, everything we're talking about now and much more. So look it up online. We'll put a link to it in the okay, show great. notes of, of this show. And hey, thanks a lot. Podcast and YouTube. Good to be so with you guys. Have a great adventure out, out there yeah, on yeah. the trails. I will. I yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're care. doing an overnight trip with Chrissy Mayo, yeah. former champion. We're meeting Chrissy at the yeah. train station and the rest of our group. And we're escaping, escaping the scene here for an overnight. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, check yeah, out Run so. the Alps too. Doug's thanks. business here that puts on a lot of great trail adventures for uh, people like us. It's a so, lot of fun. Thanks, thanks Doug. Thanks, Enjoy everyone. Yeah. All right. Catch See you later. later. Bye-bye. All right. So, Topher, back to you. You've been quiet here for a little bit. We just talked a bunch about Katrina Michelle, and um, I know you have a great relationship with them. So anything you want to build on from what Doug and Keith were saying? And also, I think it's important to mention their daughter, too, who has been sort of like the technical whiz behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I, just to build on Doug and Keith's comments, I mean, at the core, 
and this will be hard for people to believe, this event is still mom and pop organization. I mean, it was a mom and pop organization from its origins. It's a family run business. Uh, all, you know, two generations of the family today, but three soon will be involved. So uh, Katrine and Michelle's uh, daughter, Isabel, is now the race director of, the, of all the finals races. Mm. Uh, and uh, and then their son, uh, David, it runs all of the global live trail mm. business as well. And what, you know, what people don't know, so Michelle, he studied in university and Doug alluded to it, uh, computer science, which is basically, you know, ITIS. And so when, when you think about the origins of the event, um, you know, they're running a record store. Katrine has a deep family history in music. And there were five uh, organizers, Katrine and the four others, and the four others wanted to all run that first year. So by default, Katrine became the race director because she wasn't planning on, on, on running. And I think what makes UTMB so unique and what's built over the years is you think about someone who's always, you know, Katrine has a sister that's in the Paris Symphony Orchestra, plays musical instruments. The whole family is extremely musically inclined. And, um, and so Katrine always viewed, I think, from the very beginning, the, the experience for people, spectators, uh, crews, the general public was so important. You know, she, she, if you think about the UTMB course as an arena or a stadium, she wanted to bring everyone in. And I think that gets somehow misconstrued in ways uh, where, you know, God, why, why do they have this build up? Like all of the theme music, that emotion you have at the start, th those are so carefully selected themes. I have goosebumps right now just <laughs> thinking about the start line music. <laughs> Yeah. Keith and I were talking about this too. Keep going tough. I want to keep, yeah. but I think it's important for people to know like that, that psychology was brought to sport competition exactly. of like art and music. Exactly. And it has you, once you sort of realize that and understand it, you can see it more clearly. Yeah, it all, everything clicks, yeah. right? It's not like, Oh, what are they trying to optimize this for money? No. Sh you know, the, the idea was let's optimize this for the, for the experience mm -hmm of everyone, whether you're a spectator, like you hear the music and, and, you know, they bring in these bands that play music and it, you know, it's like going to a Cirque du Soleil in advance of the big event. And that's something they had never brought. I mean, even Jamil in Aravipa talks about how he came to UP, UTMB and thought this is cool ideas for me and how he's built it with Havelina and some of these other races in North America. And so the idea of creating theater alongside the actual event um, is really was, I think, born out of their, their uh, and especially Katrine's desire to pull in everyone, not just make it an experience for the runner, but make it an experience for anyone who's coming in contact. It, it's event. part of the reason why the race starts at 6 p.m. And so the That's winner exactly right. arrives here in Chamonix in the middle of the day when everybody <clears throat> is off so they can the, be celebrated yeah, in the pedestrian right? mall to greet the heroes as they make their lap around Mont Blanc. Keith, you and I were talking earlier in the week. Of course, you guys were instrumental at the North face in getting the race off the ground. Of course, the brands have graduated. It's now a Hoka event, but there was a culture within the organization that you guys were integral in at the North face of 
inviting your colleagues to participate as well. So maybe talk about that, how the you guys were recognizing your colleagues and encouraging them to be out in the mountains too. Okay, I think this is going to be a team story, yeah. but I'll, I'll kick it off. And uh, I think Topher, Topher is normally the, let's say he's normally the bit like, how him and Kim work so well. Toph has great ideas and Kim executes them. I, think, and, uh, I kind of feel, I kind of feel like I, I'm the, the, the North Face equivalent of Kim, perhaps if that's yeah, we more We wanted Kim to join yeah, us this morning. We should say. No, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you know, obviously Topher's passion for trial running and that was great for the North Face here in, in Europe coming over here and, uh, and his passion for trial running. And so what's, what's great about Toph as well is that he wants, he wants everyone else to experience that. And, I'm not the crazy guy. I mean, I'm not the crazy guy running a hundred miles uh, or if I am, let's see how we can do that. So, and it's, it's almost everybody needs that encouragement. And I think that's one of the great things about UTMB. You can stand on the finish line on Sunday, the golden hour, if you want, and you see people coming in and you, and if you've never even thought about try running, go, well, if that person can do it, cause they look absolutely, I could do it. So Toast toes kind of roundabout way internally was like, well, let's encourage more people to give this a go. And, th and this was as the race was starting to go from just the UTMB, but then adding in the CCC, so 100K. So that was almost accessible for, for some folks. And so Tove kind of threw down the, the gauntlet. He was the boss at the North Face that, um, hey, let's, you know, cowbells are synonymous with the Alps. And especially when you're going up the bovine climb, you hear the cowbells. So the cowbells are synonymous here. So Tove decided that if anybody at the North Face who comes to the event and signs up for the race at the next gathering, which was normally our sales meeting in the fall, um, you would get a cowbell. And this cowbell, it wasn't just a cowbell. It had the leather strap on it. And on that strap would be the North Face Expiration Award. Uh -huh. And so whilst the finishing vest was a big deal for anyone coming across the finish line of any of the races, the cowbell in front of your colleagues back at the North Face was almost like next level recognition and, and then I'm going to let one more thing and then I'm going to let Tove jump in and so this became you know this was the big deal and then the years that somebody from the North Face started the race and DNF'd their first reaction was I'm not going to get the cowbell and that you know the cowbell that's that's what it was and so it was the cowbell was synonymous of Tofa's energy for getting outdoors and trying new things and inspiring so many other people to do that. And there was examples, someone like Jan Luca, Paul Hunt, they did the CCC every year just for another cowbell. It was just <laughs> like, guys, try something else. Yeah. But yeah, so Toph, I don't know if, what's your perspective well, I, on all of know, that. That's a great summary. And, and Keith was certainly a, an enormous partner in helping build internal energy inside our brand. You know, we we were talking about the other day, like the culture inside the brand at that time, you go back to the early 2000s, was, you know, I don't like religion. It mm -hmm. was like cultish almost. Yeah. And um, and so as as Keith mentioned, that first year at UTMB, imagine climbing the Ovine. The weather was horrible. You're in this fog. Your headlamp is reflecting off the fog. And all you hear are these bovine cowbells or the cows. I mean, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so, you know, the top the top finishers, top 10 now always get a cowbell. And I wanted to, we, we really wanted to, to give that experience to, to North Face employees and colleagues that, that came in and finished. So we actually had two awards. 
we gave an award and we would, we would honor everyone at our fall sales meeting in October. And so it was a big deal. Like we'd bring them all on the stage. We had the UTMB music playing and we first, uh, we, we honored all of the finishers with a Chamonix. I remember talking about it because, you know, they go, well, we've got this Italian cowbell. Nope. It's gotta be the one from the Chamonix Valley. Very important. And I want the big ones that the, the top finishers finish. Uh, and so we'd bring all of the finishers up, ring in their cowbells. We'd honor all the people that even if they didn't finish, they had the courage to start because we thought it was important that people took the risk out of their busy, like working life to just have the courage to go to the start line. And we'd bring them up and then we would bring up everyone who came to the event, even in support, whether they volunteered whether they came and worked a trade show booth, whether they, whether they crewed, and everyone would be on the stage. And pretty soon, anyone that was sitting in the audience was like, felt I need awkward. to be there next year because I'm feeling left out. Yeah. And it, so it was, it was a huge motivator. And, and Keith, Keith did an amazing job of carrying that on, mm-hmm. you know, in, in years after I had left. And, and, uh, and for me, it was an amazing way to connect with with, with our employees. I mean, they would, they would share their UTMB experiences, um, throughout the course of the year. And we'd be in meetings in horrible parts of Europe from time to time, mostly nice parts. But when we were, we'd all get out for a run. And because we all knew we had this site on the end of August as a goal. So maybe coming back to the growth as we sort of sketch the history of the UTMB now, of course it started as just the UTMB, but you could be recognized as a finisher if you made it to Cormier or you made it to Champé-Lac, et cetera. Now there are several events. Maybe, Keith, if you want to provide a high-level sketch of that evolution as you observed it, adding the other distances, you know, satisfying the demand that was clearly out there and giving different experiences to different runners. Yeah, it was always, it was always interesting um, after each UTMB, sitting down with Katrina and the team, um, reviewing everything and then getting ready for the the next lottery. So there, there was qualifying points in the beginning and there was too many people applying for the race. So every year it's like, let's add, increase the qualifying points and that'll reduce the applicants. But no, everybody just went and got more qualifying points. So UTMB 2003, then by 2006, let's have the second race, the, the 100K race from, from Cormier. And then... CCC. CCC, sorry, yeah. And then 2008 those runners that kept coming back each year to do UTMB were like, hey, we need a new challenge. And so that's where the PTL came from. So the uh, not necessarily one that's not really a race, a challenge um, that normally starts on the Monday, 300 kilometers, 25,000 meters of positive elevation, almost like a hut to hut experience. And teams of three and two members of that team had to have finished the UTMB. So it was almost, you know, it's almost like, like that TNF sales meeting. It's like <laughs> it's a yeah. unique fraternity of people who are one hundred. And it was it was in a PTL. way it was customer focused, and yeah. so the customers were saying we want something different. And then at some point, Switzerland's like, "Hey, we need a race to start in Switzerland." So we've got you've got one in Cormier, you've got plenty in Chamonix. So that was where the OCC came along and that fifty k race. And so then there's the YCC involved in the younger generation. There's the mini races for the young kids between four and eleven. So the MCC, the community race, we already talked about. Exact, that. TDS is yeah, happening now. And now there's yeah. the ETC, so you can explore Cormier as well. So there's there's actually now eight races. I think we're encompassing 
11,000 runners, uh, you know, and then that brings all of the supporters that go with it. So they've evolved the race and, and that's, that's still, that's kind of, I can just hear Catherine and Michelle now, this is the spirit of trail running. We want to be inclusive. Yeah. And um, how do we involve more people whilst being still manageable of what's going on here? And then with things like UTME Live, for all those people that can't be here, a bit like Formula One, you can watch it around the world. And so you can almost, and the quality of that content now in 2023 means that you know, we, we know some of our audience like, hey, I'm on the treadmill for hours and hours watching the commentary of UTMB. So they're almost trying to get in the mindset. So it's evolved, it's evolved, they've evolved their product yeah. uh, to the demands of the customers. And yeah, it's, it's just so powerful to have seen it happen in 20 years as well. I want to talk with you specifically about the evolution of the broadcast experience because you've been involved since day one. But let's pause on the PTL story a little bit because it's, I think, relevant to our conversation about the artistic influence and the thought that goes into yep. all the decisions that they make. Tell the significance about the name PTL. Well, first of all, with the Ironman group involved now, they're looking at this going, why have you guys got so many acronyms? Why can't you just call it the 50, the 100, and the 100 mile? And we know the answer to that. This is more than a number. And um, there's the storytelling behind it. And I think that's where Catherine and Michelle come in as well, is the storytelling of everything. So you know, UTMB is obvious where that's come from and, and they registered that as a trademark. Um, then, and then the CCC is pretty clear, but then like, hang on. And then I remember when Catherine said, Oh, we're going to have the PTL. I'm like, what I'm thinking, where, 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 which town begins with P and it's, yeah. oh no. So the PTL is a la, this La Petite Trot de Leon. Virtually nobody knows who's Leon. And so, bizarrely enough, Leon Lovey, one of the one of these trailers that's part of the connection. So, if Michelle Poletti's the man on the ground here in Chamonix, Alberto was the guy on the ground in Cormier, and then Leon is a chef, was the guy on the ground in Champelac. And so, when you're running alongside the lake after you've gone out the checkpoint on the left hand side, a slight false flat. There's a cake shop on the left-hand side. There's always these blueberry cakes outside, and that is the cake shop of Leon. So the, they have named a race after one of the trailers on the mountain, and so that's the the PTL as a name, and then the TDS. Do you want me to do that well, one? Well, I think yeah. it's just funny to point out that it basically means in French, the little walk of yes. Leon, and it's a 200-mile yeah. like vision quest slog <laughs> through the Alps where you have to carry a helmet, so it's not a little walk no, by any means. Uh, no, and, and Leon absolutely adores Sebastian Chenier. Yeah. It's like, if you go to the cake show with Seb, the, the red carpet just rolls out the door. <laughs> so, uh, But no, great guy, still going strong, like a lot of these characters are. Somebody's got to make a documentary yeah. about him. Were you going to say something, Tom? No, I was, I, I mean, that was just, that's a favorite spot. You know, we used to do a tour in training basically every July mm -hmm. and uh, we'd always sleep in, in Champelac and every morning that second day was always that, that, or that was the start of the third day uh, back to Chamonix and Leon would always be in his cake shop and uh, have fresh cakes for, for everyone that was running. Grab that breakfast morning. on yeah. the way out. Yeah. And so you, you start to build, I think the other thing, you know, on all the villages, you know, certainly we built enduring relationships mm -hmm. with shop owners, restauranteurs, uh, hut owners. I mean, 
And as your friend, I mean, you are one of the people who introduced this race to me and we've been coming here together for nearly a decade now. And now I've become sort of like the second generation of people <laughs> yeah. building on the relationships that you started. It's amazing. And Rhodes is going to be, yes, uh, Rhodes is going to be right there. We're going to be following Rhodes in, yeah. in his yeah. traditions he's building, but I, I want to yeah. come back to the, the tour and cause you guys sort of also, you know, kind of pioneered that the training loop around Mont Blanc, but maybe Keith finish up on TDS too, because I think this is, also a fun story on the name. Yeah. And I think it's acknowledged out of all the races, if we, the, the TDS is probably the most technical of all the races. And again, you know, for those who've been over on the Cormier side, it's like, oh, wow, everybody speaks French over here as well. And so, or Patois, as they would refer to it over that side. And um, so the TDS is uh, on the tracks, on the, on the former tracks of the Duke of Savoie. And um, so both Chamonix and, and Cormier, this whole region used to be before they had uh, country borders that we know today. Um, this was part of a, a region, the, the Duke of Savoie, was, that was his area. And um, this was like, for, I think for 400 years between the 1400s and the uh, 1800s. And so um, again, Catherine wanted to tell that story about this area. And then that, and that also would have been before the tunnel existed, that was how you kind of got around this. So this would have been like a trading route, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of that course also follows some of the classic climbs that you see in the Tour de France every year. So the, uh, the Comme de Rosaline on that side, the descent down to, uh, down to, uh, Bourg Saint-Maurice, yep. uh, the, the climb over the Petit Saint-Bernard. So, uh, so yeah, really tough course, some exposed sections on that. And uh, then also you get to, there's the big fort. So, you know, that, that border between the, the French and the Italian. So they weren't always best friends. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there's a lot of history here going back through centuries. And so, um, again, that's just Katrina Michelle doing their little bit of storytelling and almost acknowledging the history of this region. So it's the, on the track of the Duke of Savoie yeah. basically is, yeah. is TDS. Anyway, yeah. I think there's a lot of people who probably don't realize that going back to what we were just talking about, Toph, I mean, you were kind of a unique American here. And so you had both the understanding of American trail running culture, your seven time Western States finisher, you've been involved in, you know, the sport in our home country for decades now, but you were living here in Europe managing the North face brand. And so you got to see trail running culture emerge in Europe too. And one of the things that has stuck with me for many years that I heard Joe Grant say when I was here in 2013 on my first trip to UTMB was that trail running emerged out of running in the US and emerged out of mountaineering here in Europe, which makes perfect sense when you see a race like UTMB, even though it's not mountain climbing, it's not real alpinism, it's much different than Western states. Yeah. So maybe say a few words about that and also just like, well, as we get into talking about, you know, Americans coming over here and starting to do the tour and training. I mean, you've been here to observe all of that, including some of the legends like Scott Churick and Carl Meltzer. So anything you want to say about the American culture versus the European culture and how you observed it over the course of 20 years? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the European culture, the mountain towns are a part of multi-generational mountain life. And, you know, in, in Europe, like, we had, I think, when we first moved over, you know, there are no smartphones, there are no GPSs, there are no GPS watches. It was like maps and one television station in English, which was Eurosport that we, we could get. And everything was, 
these non-mainstream by American standards sports that were all centered around the mountains. Nordic skiing, alpine skiing, biathlon, ski jumping in the in the winter. And all of these mountain athletes, you know, they would climb in the summer too, but they but there wasn't like a sport a mountain sport that they could attack outside of like a few sky races, maybe the Swiss uh, Davos Swiss Alpine Marathon. And so, you know, when 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 this event took off, it gave an avenue for these incredibly talented aerobic engine mountain athletes to converge with these incredibly talented pure running athletes. And the course on, on UTMB and specifically in Europe, like the trails weren't built for horses here. They're built for humans. I mean, the whole continent was built for humans. And so at a human scale, that's why when you come into a village, it just feels so good. Yeah. Um, is built before the Industrial Revolution. And so the trails are just grindy up, grindy down, which in a lot of cases suits a mountain athlete better than a, a running athlete. So it wasn't, you might have a 215 marathoner that comes and runs a CCC, even an OCC, and gets eaten alive relative to like, okay, a Nordic skier that suddenly is just killing it yeah. on the trail. So I think that's that was a big piece for for... That, that sort of was the intersection of two types of, uh, of logic with, with uh, trail running. And then when it came to training, there was, there was no guidebook to training. It was all homegrown and, and self-made. And so if you go back to the early 2000s, probably the most professionalized endurance sport on the planet still today, arguably, is the Tour de France. And there were a lot of videos that were coming out on how Tour de France um, teams were training for the tour mm -hmm. and it was about previewing every section of the race, doing it in advance and building a plan. And so I loved that. And so that first year in 2003, like I modeled that exact model and that's what initiated even before the first year I ever ran UTMB modeled a three day tour in July of the entire course. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, and we, that basically became foundational to my preparation every year. It was a birthday year. tradition. It was a birthday tradition. <laughs> it was always the last week in July, yeah. and it became tradition. And, and it, back to what we were saying earlier, it's probably what built these enduring bonds with all of these people around the 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 the, the trail around the yeah. around the Mont Blanc, like like Lyon, like uh, Giacomo at Maison Vieille, like Patrizia at Bouton d'Or, yeah. and all of the little spots we'd go. And, you know, oftentimes it'd be with North Face uh, athletes, new people. We'd bring, you Americans, know, Americans like over. Jurek. Scott Jurek came over and did a three-day tour with us uh, and then did another three-day tour with La Fuma team. And, you know, from year one, my our goal was to bring bring as many Americans over to to experience it, male and female top athletes. And we had, you know, we we invited Tim Tweetmeyer at the time. He was the five time you know uh, Western States champion. Dean Carnassus, Scott Jurek, Carl Meltzer, you know, anyone. Remember Jeff Rose, Jeff Rose, Dakota Jones, yeah, Dakota Jones. I mean, absolutely everyone in. Obviously, the women, uh, American women, have had phenomenal, like, like 
absolutely phenomenal results here. We were saying, you know, between the UK and the US, there's 13 of the 19 UTMB champions come from eight American uh, champions and, uh, or not champions, but wins. Yeah. And, uh, and five uh, from the UK with Lizzie Hawker. And, but the American men, you know, have yet to, to win it. So it's still that, that crown jewel prize for the first American male. Yeah. And in the early years, like any American that would come over here, they'd be like a kid in a candy shop and they would, they would OD without exception <laughs> the two weeks before the race. They just totally OD on the, on the mountain. It still they, happens. It still yeah. happens. Like you come here, you get to Chamonix. Remember Chamonix, you're 3000 feet. You look at the top of the Mont Blanc, it's just under 16,000 feet. And that's more relief than sitting at the base camp of Everest, looking at the top of Everest. And so you get here and you're like, I have to start running <laughs> up these mountains up. immediately. Yeah. And so I think a lot of Americans just showed up like fatigued at the start already because they they just they blew it out in their taper. Yeah. And then the nighttime start that really started, I guess, Keith, in like 2005 or maybe even 04. Yep. Um, that really changed, you know. Virtually, well, every American 100-miler starts in the morning. Yeah. And so, you know, think about a Western States runner. Like, they're finishing when the sun is setting. Mm -hmm. And here, the sun was setting in their 20K into the yeah. race. And it, so it was a totally different mind shift. It's just a big learning curve for yeah. the Americans yeah. when they come over here. And we're, we're definitely still learning, especially on the men's side. Keith, one of the things you and I have been talking about is just how this has turned into just the most international of endurance events. And you shared a fun anecdote of 2010 when Siyoshi Kaburagi, a friend of both of ours and a great representative of the, of the sport in Japan came over and using that maybe as an example of how this went from being a very French event to what it is now in the world championship. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, one of the things early on was like uh, in the meetings with Catherine, we were saying, right, Catherine, we're going to make this race no longer be French. And then I had to quickly quantify what we meant by that at the North Face uh, before being kicked out of the room in terms of, you know, th th this event is is incredible and we need to share this with the world. And uh, one of the natures of the North Face being a global brand is we can use our athletes and our reach to do that. And so, um, and so Gabaraki, uh, you know, a great athlete and also the race director of uh, the UTMF in uh, around Mont Fuji uh, was here. He was followed by NHK, which is the national TV station of Japan. And, you know, those guys, it was kind of like a Ferrari pit stop when he got into any of the aid stations with cameras, boom, lighting. And 2010 was a defining moment for the UTMB in many ways because, um, if you look at the safety protocol that's in place in 2023, a lot of that was catalyst from 2010. So 2010, the runners set off. The weather forecast was not good, but it was not exceptional. There's no red flags for the meteorologists working inside. When the runners got to Lake Contamine, kilometer 31 into the race, or 20 miles into the race, the race they stop the race. So imagine you're stood in front of this train of 2,300 runners coming at you and you're saying, stop. Um, Killian's into the aid station first and he's like, I want to carry on. And they're like, no, you need to stop. It is snowing like crazy on the pass and we're going to stop the race. The mayor of Chamonix on the phone to anyone that owns a bus, get every single bus down there. We have got 2,300 wet, cold runners 
But one of the defining moments for me is Kabaraki and Seb Shenyo. Sebastian had been already over to Mon Fuji, so Seb had built this fantastic uh, uh, relationship with Kabaraki. Um, I don't think it was Who's great the race director of UTMF. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think there was a great deal of uh, cl communication in terms of verbally because Kabaraki doesn't speak much English and Seb's English is okay. And uh, But those two guys were huddled up in, and they were in tears because if you think about any runner can identify with this story in your UTMB, you've trained for this. You've probably upset whoever's around you, your network, because you're so dedicated. You come here, the race stops all of your dreams have been stopped by something completely out of your control. So it was a really powerful moment. And the just the extension of that story was SMS was not really that well done that time and it wasn't working for international folk. So the amount of people then that were getting an SMS saying, hey, the race is going to start again tomorrow morning. Everybody didn't get that message. So there was a lot of people in the bars of Chamonix drowning their sorrows while some people did get it. So of the 2,300 that stopped, I think we got about 1,300 back on the start line the next morning in Cormier, and we managed to get a race finish in 2020, 2010. Jez Bragg won the short edition. Mike Wolf, I think, was second, yeah. and uh, Lizzie, Lizzie also. So it was a British win for the two runners there. So, but there was there were so many things, and the key challenge for the UTMB organization after that, from a, a risk management, was we need to have. We need to guarantee that if the runners spend all this time coming to our race, we need to guarantee them a race. How do we do that? We have the classic route, but then we also have a low level option right the way around the course. So they, they kind of went through that. And 2011 was the first test of that, a race that never left France. Yep. Not a very exciting race for the runners on a lot of kind of uh, service roads, but it, they kind of delivered on that. So that was yep. a lot happened in 2020, 2010, that made what the runners are going to experience this year, this year, you know, they're going to get a race. They've yeah. already changed the course. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the themes that Corinne and I talked about yesterday is just how international this has become. And I think Siyoshi Kaburagi was instrumental in being sort of one of those foreign runners to come over here and, and perform well and come over many times. He did the same thing at Western States. I remember when he finished second place there, I think it was behind Hal Kerner in 2008. Jess Bragg did the same, was a UK athlete who came over. And that was sort of the dawn of this internationalization of the sport. And now, of course, the professionals are racing internationally multiple times a year in a lot of cases. We've mentioned Lizzie's name a couple of times and you guys have a fun story about Lizzie. And I think, you know, for those who are newer to the sport, they may have never heard her name, but for those of us who have been around a little bit, we know what a legend Lizzie Hawker is. So Tof, maybe paint it or add any color that you have about Lizzie Hawker. And I want to tell the, the specific story that you guys have. Well, I mean, Lizzie is, um, she's the winningest UTMB champion on the women's side in history, she's got five UTMB The winningest, wins. no matter what. I mean, yeah, Francois yeah. and Killian both have four. four. Lizzie's okay, got the five. Winning, winningest yeah. outright. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, she is one of the, one of the most wonderful, sweet, understated, mild-mannered, absolute beast of a, a, a competitor. Uh, and her first year, she was an unsponsored, first, her first year she won, she was an unsponsored, uh, runner running with basically like a school day pack um, around the Mont Blanc with her mandatory kit and just quietly beat 
absolutely every professional out there and virtually every male runner out there as well and finish with an impressive, uh, impressive win. Uh, of course, we, uh, you know, being a brand always on the lookout for new talent, I think immediately uh, made the connection with her and she became a North Face athlete. And, uh, and so the second or third year she was running, I think Kim was uh, crewing Lizzie and um, in Simone Mora, one of our mountaineering uh, athletes. Legendary. Alpinist, yes. Yeah. 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 And so she, she had an incredible, uh, sort of, of, of crew, um, managing her, her race. And this, these were the early days of North face and early days of all the brands. Like everyone's trying to figure out the gear, like yeah. what's the right gear and you know, what's the right, what's the optimized backpack. All the gear is so specialized now, like the pockets are in exactly the right place. Your jacket goes here. You know, we were still basically using mountain biking uh, equivalent sort of hydration packs. And so Lizzie was out running that year and we had this specialized pack, but it wasn't, didn't quite fit her. So she just tied the front of the pack onto her body in knots. And uh, I'll never forget, we're running down just this first 5k and I just see the pack sort of <laughs> bouncing and I, I thought, oh my God, we, we definitely didn't make that the right size. <laughs> I, I don't know how she's going to be doing. But she gets over to Cormier and Kim and Simone, literally they were trading out her pack for a smaller one. They had to cut it off her body because it was tied in such a knot. So they cut it off her body and they're doing a pack transfer of things. And they tell this story because we, we stayed at the Hotel Opina and the Hotel Opina has this super heavy like weight for the key. And she had the key with the, with the giant metal weight, like the rock weight and a full size apple. And, <laughs> and, and you're just, you know, these days everyone is like optimizing. a wooden cross in the back <laughs> yeah, too? A wooden cross. Yep. She had a wooden cross, <laughs> like full size wooden cross in the back of the bag as well. And, um, Simone and Kim are sort of doing the transfer. Like, uh, you don't need the key. Like, we'll just have this for you at the finish. But it was, it was, it was so cool. Cause it was just indicative of like the trial and error and the learning process, even for elites yeah. and everyone in between. Now everyone's a gram counter and everything is perfectly optimized. Everybody's got like everything packed into the most specialized, smallest size exactly. that they can. They buy the cell phones that are microscopic <laughs> exactly. just to exactly. satisfy the equipment. And, but she won that year and, and, um, and just an incredibly humble, champion uh, you know i think keith talks about the spirit of 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 trail running the values i think the every champion that has come in and won utmb is a part of bringing the values of the sport yeah. to this event and she's certainly one of the one of the most incredible champions the race has ever had and and um and anyone that's lucky enough to know her or get to know her, we'll see the true spirit of, of, of trail running, mountain running, and um, a great representative of the sport. And I hope we get to see her back here this week. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if Lizzie's going to be here because this is this is the UTMB in 2023 would be Lizzie's idea of an ultimate nightmare. And you know, Lizzie now is a race director in her own right. And Lizzie used to go and ultra, run around ultra tour, the Ultra Monterosa. Tour Monte Rosa. So yeah. Lizzie used to use that. That was where Lizzie used to train for the UTMB. And there's not so many people over on those trails. And so Lizzie's created this stage race. And uh, you know, and if you talk people about love that event, yeah. And if you talk about a race director and their values, Lizzie's race, the ultra tour Monte Rosa. I had the pleasure to help Lizzie and Richard for the first three or four years of when they were starting up and that, because neither Lizzie or Richard liked talking to people. So I got to do the talking on their behalf at the event. And um, one last thing on Lizzie was the Sunday times. They did an, a, a huge article on Lizzie, the biggest selling newspaper in the UK. And it was headlined the most famous British tri- the most famous British runner you've never heard of. And they were just kind of highlighting that Lizzie goes under the radar. She's just a very humble, wonderful human being. And actually most of the people, you know, in fact, all of the people that go to do her race do it first of all, because of Lizzie. Yeah. And then when they're there, they're like, wow, Lizzie, thank you for sharing this place with us. So no, Lizzie Hawker, five times champion. You crewed and, for her a couple of times here. Yeah. I, I, 2011, I think, uh, 2012, I think I had Lizzie's mom and dad in the car with me and, um, and Lizzie was racing. And, uh, so yeah, so it's, it, I was just saying for the audience, if you never, if running the race is just not something you're ever going to do, the second best experience is being the crew yeah. for somebody. It is, it's a great experience. Uh, and also there's a sense of responsibility. Do not be late to that aid station, yeah. but you have a role to play. And um, so I had the pleasure with Lizzie. It was the year they closed the bovine climb. So I didn't want to tell Lizzie that I said, Hey Lizzie, good news. You don't have to go up the bovine climb, but I didn't tell her what the plan B was. I said, just keep following the markers they ran all the way down to Martini and, um, and basically the start of the OCC now, sorry, the MCC of yesterday. So when Lizzie arrived in Martini, she wasn't happy with me, but luckily her mom had told me that her favorite song was queen. Don't stop me now. So I had that blazing out of the car. <laughs> Come on, Lizzie. And then and she swore. I, 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 the only time I've ever heard Lizzie swear, she swore at me then about, yeah. <laughs> when we got to, but she made it and she went on to win. And uh, her mum, her mum kept saying, Keith, Lizzie's not eating much. I'm like, well, no, that's Lizzie. But, uh, but no, it was great for Lizzie's parents to see her, their daughter in her natural environment. Yeah. And also thousands and thousands of people cheering Lizzie. That was a brilliant moment yeah. for her parents. You know, I don't know Lizzie super well personally, but it strikes me that, you know, a five-time champion. Harmony and I have been talking about this too, like with Rory Bozio, who won in 2013, 2014. Lizzie winning five times, Rory winning twice. Both of them could have milked that and like, you know, created this mystique around them and sort of continue to ride that, those accomplishments for years and decades to come. Both have chosen to sort of move on with their lives, still mountain people, still enjoying running for what it is and what it brings to their lives, no longer seeking the spotlight. And I think both are not only great champions of the sport, but great representatives of just that humble trail spirit. I, uh, we could go forever on this. I think we all understand. <laughs> we, I, I want to sort of figure out where we should draw the line. There's some things that I definitely want to talk about though. Keith, obviously like the evolution of the broadcast since that's now, the way that the vast majority of the world will experience UTMB this week. 
Um, I'd love to also talk about like, there's some other characters like Marco Olmo and sort of like he won 20, 2006, 2007, and then Killian arrives 2008 and yeah. sort of ushers in this new generation. And then like, now are we sort of seeing this next generation after Killian starting to emerge? So maybe let's use those as our last two topics, starting with the broadcast. Keith, like I said, you've been around since the very beginning. Maybe just tell the people how that's evolved over the years. Yeah, so 2014, that was the that was the last year of the North Face uh, being the title sponsor. And um, I understood the strategic decision of the brand, but boy, I was really sad. But um, so I said to Katrina and Michelle, hey, uh, if you've got a cool job, I'd come back next year. And they said, ah, next year we're going to do, we're going to do for the first time, we're going to do live broadcast of UTMB. So um, why don't you do it? So Topher's brother, Randy and myself. So there was like 2015 fixed cameras in the aid stations. That's what UTMB live looked like in 2015. Um, so we'd be on, we'd watch the leaders go through and then so, okay, we'll see you in three more hours when the runners get to the next aid station. Fast forward to 2023. And in that time, We've had wonderful uh, people in the studio. Yourself, you know, Corinne was a guest, and we're like, Corinne, this this is you, and so uh, and and Corinne now has absolutely taken that, and you know, you and Corinne, uh, dynamic duo, and uh, Corinne in her own right is is an amazing and journalist. You're fantastic too, Keith. Yeah, no, 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 but I, I you know, I obviously, uh, but I'm not going to say that, yeah. but uh, and so. And the fact that now it is in six or seven languages. I heard Corinne say seven languages yesterday. So they added Thai this year. Okay. So yeah, so we've got seven languages. Uh, the, studio, the studio set up. The fact that we're now broadcasting through YouTube. So we as... Uh, when we're speaking, we can engage with the audience and we have so much fun with the audience. They're giving us so much intel. We're like, hey, who's the guy with the hat? The Greek guy. And then the Greek trail running community. Oh yeah, this is Fotis and this is what he does. So they're asking about nutrition and products. So, and and now we, you know, the, I think the viewing figures for UTMB live is something like 20 million or something yeah. across all of the different touch points. So, this is such a great... I think the broadcast alone was like two and a half or three million yeah, last so year. So if you talk about inspiring the next generation and, you know, we're, you know, we're now getting ready for Friday, you know, Courtney DeWalter, we're talking about inspiring the next generation, the next generation of female athletes, whoever, you know, last night I had the pleasure to see Zach Friedley, uh, an adaptive athlete with a blade, finish the MCC. So this sport and this event with the live broadcast now as we don't even know some of the people that are watching this and so i'm very conscious and i think and corinne too is when we're talking we're, we're geeking out on the stats but we're also talking to people that are just watching this for the first time because they're like hey watch this is amazing so it's such a great opportunity for us and it's a great opportunity for the sport. And I know that you've got this great line about, you know, trail running is going to save the world. And I kind of love that. So it's such an honor for us and to be, uh, to be sharing this. It's so exciting. And, yeah. you know, you, the three of us, you, Corinne and I, I think two or three years ago, Corinne's like, we didn't take a break. 
and we were fine with that because you're yeah. like you're addicted to it like anything else so no we've got a bit more structure now so yeah. uh, in terms of having a break and everything else i remember in 2015 i think actually it was the three of us in the studio that yeah. year and we were uh watching the steady cam at the from the flagere that was just pointed backwards yeah. towards the tete de waiting to see xavier thevenard yeah. come down now we've got camera runners and e-bikes following a lot of the leaders yeah. throughout the day. You and I were talking about Sebastian Chengyo. You've brought up his name a couple of times. Yeah. And again, a great representative of the, of the sport, a multiple time podium finisher here. Yeah. Now I recall seeing him here in 2021 while he was out carrying the camera and he had done like 140 K in three days chasing athletes, you know, giving back it's, to the sport. It's, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Just the, the, the ability one, this course is so unique because it's got cellular coverage during the entire course, which allows the most incredible live footage of any event in the world. Um, and then you have these incredibly talented elite runners that are following the front of the race. And, and you know, I remember talking to Seb, you know, he was following OCC. Like the OCC course, there isn't as much you know, cushion yep. for an elite, uh, cameraman, uh, w with an elite runner. Yeah. Um, but you'd ask, you'd sort of mention like, Hey, it's amazing how this race has become so international. I think a huge part of that is the live broadcast. A huge part of that is, um, the capability and reach of social media that on the positive side, um, and, the interconnectivity that the that you know the, the web really emerged with smartphone technology in 2007. It built on that um, in the 2010s, and that just exploded this experience for people to see firsthand on their phone what was going on in these different parts of the world. It changes the whole game, doesn't it? I mean, I really do think this advent of live stream broadcasting, particularly at a race like UTMB that captures the human imagination, that has the highest level of competition and is executed in the most beautiful landscape you could possibly imagine. When you package that all together in a broadcast experience and show it to somebody who would otherwise you know, sign up for a turkey trot, yeah. it really does capture their imagination. And it's great to have people like Keith and Corinne in the studio to help share the value, share the story and share why this is important, why it's going to save the world. Yeah. Right, Keith? What was good for the three of us last week was, you know, on the other side, when we're kind of on the trail, you're bumping into backpackers and you're explaining, Oh, we're here for the race and we, we I'm going to be doing the broadcasting. And they're like, ah, they're the hikers who are not interested in running are like, Oh, we want to watch that because yeah. if the footage is that good, we get to see where we've been hiking. And so all of a sudden, this is the, the ultimate advertising to come visit. So the mayor of Chamonix, Eric Fournier, big thumbs up from him yeah. for all of this because this is not, this is the ultimate marketing tool. Yeah. And this has set an expectation now for any race around the world. It's like, hey, is there a live stream of this event? Totally. And if you look at Istria 100 this year, they did live, you know, that the aerial footage of the blue water of the Adriatic, Adriatic Ocean is the ultimate marketing tool for your event if you have the budget. And yeah. now that's, it's almost, you know, and the UTMB has always been a, you know, mandatory kit, qualifying points, race series, live stream. They're always, they have, they've always had an opportunity, you know, and sometimes they've missed it to actually influence the sport in a positive way, yeah. but they've also delivered some good ones. So I think that's, um, 
that's been the power of uh, UTMB Live. Amazing. All right, guys. So final topic here before we have to wind it down is just any comments on sort of the rotation of generations. Marco Olmo famously winning the race in his 60s and then Killian comes out of nowhere in 2008, a 20-year-old. Now Killian, of course, wins again last year, 14 years after his first victory. But we are seeing this new crop of professionals coming in and things are continually changing. And this is the 20th year. Any comments on just like the macro view, the rotation of generations and, you know, the 20 year journey? As yeah. We close? I mean, you know, I think the sport as a, as a whole is, is evolved and it, and it accelerated in the two thousands. And again, the 2010s, I mean, back in the two thousands, hundred mile running and even UTMB was an adventure and exploration like that first year like you said you they, they designed the race to finish in you could finish in Cormier and Champelac because they weren't sure if it could even be done there were 67 finishers out of 722 starters that year that made it back to Chamonix and so there was this sense of a adventure. 10% finisher rate? Yeah, that first year. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Lizzie Hawker story about like still figuring the backpacks out. Like everything was an adventure and exploration. Like, like in, in, in over the years, it became more and more optimized. And certainly, Marco Olmo, I think some people look at like, well, those early years, it must have been you know, couldn't have been that competitive for 58 year old going into a 60 year old was still racing for the top three positions. The reality is Mark Olmo, if you like, look at his background was an absolute, you know, legend, badass ultra runner. And, um, Dawa Sherpa, Vincent Dalabar, Christophe Jacquard, all these guys in their era, Corinne Favre, these were incredible incredibly talented athletes in, in their, in their day. And I don't think there's anything diminished there. I just think the sport continued to professionalize and, um, athletes, uh, got professionalized coaching, the gear, you know, all of the brands were optimizing all of the nutrition brands were optimizing and everybody's doing the recce route now. Exactly. Okay. And then you had social media. And so that next generation of younger athletes, was discovering this as a form of, um, a, you know, really a new way to get into a new sport. And, and then it, it just accelerated and you had, of course, the era of Killian and, and, um, and, and then it's just continued, you know, I was joking with, with Katie Scheid, the 2022 champion. I mean, if you ask someone like, where were you in 2003? It's like, well, Katie Scheid was an 11 year old in 2003. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's sort of like, whoa. And she was the, you know, 20, 2022 champion. And that is cool, you that's know, awesome. and that's just, a, that just shows you like this sport has um, built generational uh, staying power. And it's, I think we as a sport really honor those people that have come before us. And we celebrate always the new energy. Like there is always the next young gun that's coming. Yeah. And um, now more so than than ever. Yeah. And it's really cool it's to funny, see here. We had uh, Amanda Basham and Justin Grunewald in here doing an interview yesterday. And one of the things Amanda said, because she had two children in the last three years, is like, when I was having my kids, 
the sport leveled up. So I didn't just need to like get back to where I was. I needed to get back to where I was and then eclipse it, you know, which I think is sort of similar to what you're saying. It's yeah. just this continually incrementally improving. Keith, any closing comments here? Yeah. As we set ourselves up now for the three, uh, the UTME world series events here with the OCC, CCC and UTMB. I also think the pandemic, everybody, all athletes stayed close to home and there was, everyone was focused on FKTs and coming out of that pandemic, we, everybody was quicker. And I think it was, it was almost the moment where people had time to breathe. You know, they weren't, maybe they were working less because of the pandemic anyway. So all of a sudden people were outside, were reflecting maybe on nutrition, every aspect of their game. And then once we came out of the pandemic, we wow, what, everybody came a super trail runner. And I think we're going to see that now is, you know, the, the strength, the youth uh, coming through. It's, um, I think the pandemic was like almost like a reset moment. You had the, the pioneer years at the beginning. Then there was the 2010s where it was, you know, it was just evolving in a classic organic way. And then I think the pandemic reset and then bang. And I think we, what we're going to see on Friday now, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is almost the spinoff of that UTMB World Series. And these athletes now are just yeah. the depth we're going to see is like, wow, such a change from 2003. So that's kind of, I think that's been a, a key thing as well. Well, guys, this has been so freaking fun. I'm just looking at my notes here and I have like 10,000 other things I would love to, to, to get to with you. So we'll have to do the, another round two, maybe before the race next year. But what a, what a joy it's been. And I appreciate you both uh, for making the time this morning. Tove, congrats on your awesome run yesterday. And Keith, we'll look forward to listening to your voice throughout race week on the broadcast. Oh, yeah. Love the conversation. Yeah, before we get going, just a quick couple of notes for our listeners here. This afternoon, we're going to be doing tons of athlete interviews. So we're going to speak to Heather Jackson, Pau Capel, Eden Nilsson, Hannes Namberger, Helen Mino Faulkner, Courtney DeWalter, and Kevin Schmidt. They're all going to be here in studio. So you can keep an eye out for all those interviews as they drop on our YouTube channel and in the podcast feed. Also, make sure you go play fantasy trail running this week. We have awesome prizes on offer from our great partners at Hoka and Camelback. We're picking 10 deep in all of the UTMB World Series events. That's OCC, CCC, UTMB. So pick 10 deep for both the men and women for all three of those races for a chance to win a head-to-toe kit from Hoka. That includes footwear, so cap all the way down to a brand new pair of Stinson 7 trail shoes, Zephyr pack from Camelback. I think we also have some ketones from uh, HVMN, a ketone IQ supplement. We'll probably throw some free trail merch in there too. So make sure you go to fantasy.freetrail.com. Big shout out to Travis Longcar for all the hard work he's put in over there, fantasy.freetrail.com to play with us this week. Finally, a big thank you to our sponsors, Hoka and Camelback. Like I mentioned, Stinson 7, that's the shoe that Hoka's really proud of right now. A great all-arounder road to trail shoe. We've got them uh, sitting behind Keith and Topher here. So make sure you go check that out. They're also doing a cool thing. Uh, like an augmented reality experience that you can check out at hokaathletetrainingcamp.com. Of course, Hoka, one of the premier sponsors here at the UTMB, uh, born here in, in France and a great brand that's done a lot to build our sport. Similarly with Camelback, a big thank you for their support. A big thank you to the people behind the scenes, Harmony, Ryan, you guys are great for Keith Byrne, Topher Gaylord. I'm Dylan Bowman. See you guys tomorrow.